Welcome to Dreamful Podcast, bedtime stories for slumber. I would like to start off this episode by thanking our newest Patreon supporters, Audrey Brown, Emma Stokes, Bailey Boudreau, and Ted Clanahan and Jess Cooper. I also want to wish Ted and Jess a happy anniversary. Thank you all so much, and I hope you have the sweetest of dreams. If you find value in Dreamful and would also like to contribute to the show, please visit dreamfulstories.com where you can find info about the show and on the support page, there's a link to leave a one-time donation with PayPal, get bonus episodes synced to Spotify with Supercast, or subscribe to Patreon for bonus episodes and other perks. Life can be overwhelming and many people are burned out without even knowing it. Symptoms can include lack of motivation, irritability, fatigue, and more. We associate burnout with work, but that's not the only cause. Any of our roles in life can lead to burnout. When the pandemic hit back in 2020, I was working several jobs, had the kids home from school, and was just trying to deal with general life stuff, and it honestly got to the point where I was so overwhelmed and burned out after months and months of this that I got to the point of having panic attacks so bad that I couldn't sleep and I couldn't sit and eat dinner without feeling stressed that I wasn't doing enough. And that's why I'm so thankful to be sponsored by BetterHelp. BetterHelp Online Therapy wants to remind you to prioritize yourself. Talking with someone can help you figure out what's causing stress in your life. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can be matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. Our listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com dreamful. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash dreamful. I am so excited for this episode. Not only was it voted on by members of the Patreon page, but it is also one of the most requested stories by Dreamful listeners, The Wonderful Wizard of Oz. I will be doing a giveaway of a gorgeous copy of The Wonderful Wizard of Oz, lavishly illustrated by Mina Lima with pop-up and interactive elements throughout. To enter the giveaway, simply comment on the giveaway post on Dreamful Podcast's Facebook or Instagram page. Or you can send an email to dreamfulpodcast at gmail.com with the subject title, Wizard of Oz Giveaway, and I'll be sure to enter you in the drawing. As always, Patreon members are automatically entered, and I've put links in the show notes. I'll be drawing a winner Monday, May 30th, 2022. So, snuggle up in your blankets, and have sweet dreams. Dorothy lived in the midst of the great Kansas prairies with Uncle Henry, who was a farmer, and Aunt Em, 
who was the farmer's wife. Their house was small, for the lumber to build it had to be carried by wagon many miles. When Dorothy stood in the doorway and looked around, she could see nothing but the great gray prairie on every side. The sun had baked the plowed land into a gray mass with little cracks running through it. Once, the house had been painted, but the sun blistered the paint and the rains washed it away. And now the house was as dull and gray as everything else. It was Toto that saved Dorothy from growing as gray as her other surroundings. Toto was a little black dog with long silky hair and small black eyes that twinkled merrily on either side of his wee, funny nose. Toto played all day long and Dorothy played with him and loved him dearly. Uncle Henry sat upon the doorstep and looked anxiously at the sky, which was even grayer than usual. Dorothy stood in the door with Toto in her arms and looked at the sky too. From the far north they heard a low wail of wind and Uncle Henry and Dorothy could see where the long grass bowed in waves before the coming storm. There now came a sharp whistling in the air from the south, and as they turned their eyes that way, they saw ripples in the grass, coming from that direction also. Suddenly, Uncle Henry stood up. There's a cyclone coming in, he called to his wife. I'll go look after the stock. Then he ran towards the sheds where the cows and horses were kept. Aunt Em dropped her work and came to the door. One glance told her of the danger close at hand. Quick, Dorothy, she screamed. Run for the cellar. Toto jumped out of Dorothy's arms and hid under the bed. And the girl started to get him. And him, badly frightened, threw open the trap door in the floor and climbed down the ladder into the small, dark hole. Dorothy caught Toto at last. And when she was halfway across the room, there came a great shriek from the wind, and the house shook so hard that she lost her footing and sat down suddenly upon the floor. The house whirled around two or three times and rose slowly through the air. Dorothy felt as if she were going up in a balloon. The great pressure of the wind on every side of the house raised it up higher and higher until it was at the very top of the cyclone, and there it remained, 
and was carried miles and miles away, as easily as you could carry a feather. Hour after hour passed away, and in spite of the swaying of the house and the wailing of the wind, Dorothy soon closed her eyes and fell asleep. She was awakened by a shock, so sudden and severe that if Dorothy had not been lying on the soft bed, she might have been hurt. Dorothy sat up and noticed that the house was not moving, nor was it dark, for the bright sunshine came in at the window, flooding the little room. She sprang from her bed and with Toto at her heels, ran and opened the door. The little girl gave a cry of amazement and looked about her, her eyes growing bigger and bigger at the wonderful sights she saw. The cyclone had set the house down in the midst of a country of marvelous beauty. There were lovely patches of green sward all about with stately trees bearing rich and luscious fruits. Banks of gorgeous flowers were on every hand, and birds with rare and brilliant plumage sang and fluttered in the trees and bushes. A little way off was a small brook, rushing and sparkling along between green banks. While she stood looking eagerly at the strange and beautiful sights, she noticed, coming toward her, a group of the strangest people she had ever seen. They were not as big as the grown folk she had always been used to, but neither were they very small. In fact, they seemed about as tall as Dorothy, who was a well-grown child for her age. Although they were, so far as looks go, many years older. Three were men, and one a woman, and all were oddly dressed. The men, Dorothy thought, were about as old as Uncle Henry, for two of them had beards. But the little woman was doubtless much older. Her face was covered with wrinkles, her hair was very nearly white and she walked rather stiffly. The little woman's hat was white, and she wore a white gown that hung in plates from her shoulders. Over it were sprinkled little stars that glistened in the sun like diamonds. When these people drew near the house where Dorothy was standing in the doorway, they paused and whispered among themselves, as if afraid to come farther. But the little old woman walked up to Dorothy, made a low bow, and said, in a sweet voice, You are welcome, most noble sorceress, to the land of the Munchkins. We are so grateful to you 
for having killed the wicked witch of the East, and for setting our people free from bondage. Dorothy listened to the speech with wonder. What could the little woman possibly mean by calling her a sorceress, and saying she had killed the wicked witch of the East? Dorothy said, with hesitation. You are very kind, but there must be some mistake. I have not killed anything. Your house did anyway, replied the old woman with a laugh, and that is the same thing. See, she continued, pointing to the corner of the house. There are her two toes, still sticking out from under the block of wood. Dorothy looked and gave a little cry of fright. There, indeed, just under the corner of the great beam the house rested on, two feet were sticking out, shod in silver shoes with pointed toes. Oh dear, oh dear! cried Dorothy, clasping her hands together in dismay. The house must have fallen on her. Whatever shall we do? There is nothing to be done," said the little woman, calmly. "But who was she?" asked Dorothy. "She was the wicked witch of the East, as I said," answered the little woman. "She has held all the Munchkins in bondage for many years, making them slave for her night and day. Now they are all set free, and are grateful to you for the favor." Who are the Munchkins? Inquired Dorothy. They are the people who live in the land of the East, where the wicked witch ruled. Are you a Munchkin? Asked Dorothy. No, but I am their friend. Although I live in the land of the North, when they saw the witch of the East was dead, the Munchkins sent a swift messenger to me. And I came at once. I am the witch of the north. Oh gracious! cried Dorothy. Are you a real witch? Yes, indeed, answered the little woman. But I am a good witch, and the people love me. But I thought all witches were wicked," said the girl, who was half frightened at facing a real witch. Oh no. That is a great mistake. There were only four witches in all the land of Oz, and two of them, those who live in the north and the south, are good witches. Those who dwelt in the east and the west were, indeed, wicked witches. But now that you have killed one of them, there is but one wicked witch, in all the land of Oz, the one who lives in the west. Oz himself is the great wizard. Continued the witch, sinking her voice to a whisper. He is more powerful than all the rest of us together. He lives in the city of emeralds. Dorothy was going to ask another question, but just then, the Munchkins, who had been standing silently by, gave a loud shout and pointed to the corner of the house. 
where the wicked witch had been lying. What is it? asked the little old woman, and looked, and began to laugh. The feet of the dead witch had disappeared entirely, and nothing was left but the silver shoes. She was so old, explained the witch of the north, that she dried up quickly in the sun. That is the end of her. But the silver shoes are yours, and you shall have them to wear. She reached down and picked up the shoes, and after shaking the dust out of them, handed them to Dorothy. The Witch of the East was proud of those silver shoes, said one of the munchkins. There is some charm connected with them, but what it is we never knew. Dorothy carried the shoes into the house and placed them on the table. Then she came out again to the munchkins and said, I am anxious to get back to my aunt and uncle in Kansas, for I am sure they will worry about me. Can you help me find my way? The munchkins and the witch first looked at one another, and then at Dorothy, and then shook their heads. Dorothy began to sob, for she felt lonely among all these strange people. Her tears seemed to grieve the kind-hearted munchkins, for they immediately took out their handkerchiefs and began to weep also. As for the little old woman, she took off her cap and balanced the point on the end of her nose. While she counted, one, two, three. At once, the cap changed to a slate, on which was written in big white chalk marks, let Dorothy go to the City of Emeralds. The little old woman took the slate from her nose, and, having read the words on it, asked, Is your name Dorothy, my dear? Yes, answered the child, looking up and drying her tears. And you must go to the City of Emeralds. Perhaps Oz will help you. Where is the city? asked Dorothy. It is exactly in the center of the country, and is ruled by Oz, the great wizard I told you of. How can I get there? asked Dorothy. You must walk. It is a long journey, through a country that is sometimes pleasant, and sometimes dark and terrible. However, I will use all the magic arts I know of to keep you from harm. I will give you my kiss, and no one will dare injure a person who has been kissed by the Witch of the North. She came close to Dorothy and kissed her gently on the forehead, where her lips touched the girl and left a round, shining mark, as Dorothy found out soon after. The road to the City of Emeralds is paved with yellow brick, said the witch, so you cannot miss it. When you get to Oz, do not be afraid of him, but tell your story and ask him to help you. Goodbye, my dear. <laughs>
Dorothy went back to the house and set about making ready for the journey to the City of Emeralds. Dorothy had only one other dress, but that happened to be clean and was hanging on a peg beside her bed. It was gingham, with check of blue and white. The girl washed herself carefully and dressed in the clean gingham dress. She took a little basket and filled it with bread from the cupboard, laying a white cloth over the top. Then she looked down at her feet and noticed how old and worn her shoes were. They surely will never do for a long journey, Toto, she said. At that moment, Dorothy saw lying on the table the silver shoes that had belonged to the Witch of the East. I wonder if they will fit me, she said to Toto. They would be just the thing to take a long walk in, for they cannot wear out. She took off her old leather shoes and tried on the silver ones, which fitted her as well as if they had been made for her. Come along, Toto, she said. We will go to the Emerald City and ask the Great Oz how to get back to Kansas again. She closed the door, locked it, and put the key carefully in the pocket of her dress. And so, with Toto trotting along soberly behind her, she started on her journey. There were several roads nearby, but it did not take her long to find the one paved with yellow brick. Within a short time, she was walking briskly toward the Emerald City, her silver shoes tinkling merrily on the hard yellow roadbed. She was surprised, as she walked along, to see how pretty the country was about her. There were neat fences at the sides of the road, painted a dainty blue color, and beyond them were fields of grain and vegetables in abundance. Evidently, the munchkins were good farmers and able to raise large crops. Once in a while, she would pass a house and the people came out to look at her and bow low as she went by, for everyone knew she had been the means of destroying the wicked witch and setting them free. The houses of the Munchkins were odd-looking dwellings, for each was round, with a big dome for a roof, and all were painted blue. When she had gone several miles, she thought she would stop to rest, and so climbed to the top of the fence beside the road and sat down. There was a great cornfield beyond the fence, and not far away she saw a scarecrow, placed high on a pole to keep the birds from the ripe corn. Dorothy leaned her chin upon her hand and gazed thoughtfully at the scarecrow. Its head was a small sack stuffed with straw, with eyes, nose, and mouth painted on it to represent a face. An old pointed blue hat that had belonged to some munchkin, was perched on his head. 
and the rest of the figure was a blue suit of clothes, worn and faded, which had also been stuffed with straw. On the feet were some old boots with blue tops, such as every man wore in this country, and the figure was raised above the stalks of corn by means of the pole stuck up its back. While Dorothy was looking earnestly into the strange painted face of the scarecrow, she was surprised to see one of the eyes slowly wink at her. She thought she must have been mistaken at first, for none of the scarecrows in Kansas ever wink. But presently, the figure nodded its head to her in a friendly way. Then she climbed down from the fence and walked up to it while Toto ran around the pole and barked. Good day, said the scarecrow in a rather husky voice. Did you speak? asked the girl in wonder. Certainly, answered the scarecrow. How do you do? I'm pretty well, thank you, replied Dorothy politely. How do you do? I'm not feeling well, said the scarecrow with a smile, for it is very tedious being perched up here night and day to scare away crows. Can't you get down? asked Dorothy. No, for this pole is stuck up my back. If you will please take away the pole, I shall be greatly obliged to you. Dorothy reached up both arms and lifted the figure off the pole. For, being stuffed with straw, it was quite light. Thank you very much, said the scarecrow, when he had been set down on the ground. I feel like a new man. Dorothy was puzzled at this, for it sounded strange to hear a stuffed man speak, and to see him bow and walk along beside her. Who are you? asked the scarecrow when he had stretched himself and yawned. And where are you going? My name is Dorothy, said the girl, and I am going to the Emerald City to ask the Great Oz to send me back to Kansas. Where is the Emerald City? he inquired. And who is Oz? Why, don't you know? she returned in surprise. No, indeed. I don't know anything. You see, I am stuffed, so I have no brains at all, he answered sadly. Oh, said Dorothy. I'm awfully sorry for you. Do you think, he asked, if I go to the Emerald City with you, that the Great Oz would give me some brains? You see, he continued confidentially, I don't mind my legs and arms and body being stuffed, but I do not want people to call me a fool. And if my head stays stuffed with straw, how am I ever to know anything? I understand how you feel, said the little girl, who was truly sorry for him. If you will come with me, I'll ask Oz to do all he can for you. Thank you, he answered gratefully. They walked back to the road. Dorothy helped him over the fence, 
and they started along the path of yellow brick for the Emerald City. After a few hours, the road began to be rough, and the walking grew so difficult that the scarecrow often stumbled over the yellow bricks, which were very uneven. The farms were not nearly so well cared for here as they were farther back. There were fewer houses and fewer fruit trees, and the farther they went, the more dismal and lonesome the country became. At noon, they sat down by the roadside, near a little brook, and Dorothy opened her basket and got out some bread. She offered a piece to the scarecrow, but he refused. When she had finished her dinner, Dorothy told the scarecrow all about Kansas, and how gray everything was there, and how the cyclone had carried her to the strange land of Oz. The scarecrow listened carefully and said, I cannot understand why you should wish to leave this beautiful country and go back to the dry, gray place you call Kansas. That is because you have no brains, answered the girl. No matter how dreary and gray our homes are, we people of flesh and blood would rather live there than in any other country, be it ever so beautiful. There is no place like home. Well, said the girl, let us go. And she handed the basket to the scarecrow. There were no fences at all by the roadside now, and the land was rough and untilled. Towards evening, they came to a great forest, where the trees grew so big and close together that their branches met over the road of yellow brick. It was almost dark under the trees, for the branches shut out the daylight. But the travelers did not stop, and went on into the forest. If this road goes in, it must come out, said the scarecrow, and as the Emerald City is at the other end of the road, we must go wherever it leads us. Soon after, the scarecrow stopped. I see a little cottage at the right of us, he said, built of logs and branches. Shall we go there? Yes, indeed, answered the child. I am all tired out. So the scarecrow led her through the trees until they reached the cottage, and Dorothy entered and found a bed of dry leaves in one corner. She lay down at once, and with Toto beside her, soon fell into a sound sleep. When Dorothy awoke, the sun was shining through the trees, and Toto had long been out chasing birds and squirrels. She sat up and looked around her. There was a scarecrow, still standing patiently in his corner, waiting for her. We must go and search for water, she said to him. 
they left the cottage and walked through the trees until they found a little spring of clear water where Dorothy drank and bathed and ate her breakfast. She saw there was not much bread left in the basket and the girl was thankful the scarecrow did not have to eat anything for there was scarcely enough for herself and Toto for the day. When she had finished her meal and was about to go back to the road of yellow brick, she was startled to hear a deep groan nearby. What was that? she asked timidly. I cannot imagine, replied the scarecrow, but we can go see. Just then, another groan reached their ears, and the sound seemed to come from behind them. They turned and walked through the forest a few steps. When Dorothy discovered something shining in a ray of sunshine that fell between the trees, she ran to the place and then stopped short with a cry of surprise. One of the big trees had been partly chopped through, and standing beside it, with an uplifted axe in his hands, was a man made entirely of tin. His head and arms and legs were jointed upon his body, but he stood perfectly motionless, as if he could not stir at all. Dorothy looked at him in amazement, and so did the Scarecrow, while Toto barked sharply and made a snap at the tin legs. Did you groan? asked Dorothy. Yes, answered the Tin Man. I did. I've been groaning for more than a year, and no one has ever heard me before or come to help me. What can I do for you? She inquired softly, for she was moved by the sad voice in which the man spoke. Get an oil can and oil my joints, he answered. They are rusted so badly that I cannot move them at all. If I am well oiled, I shall soon be all right again. You will find an oil can on a shelf in my cottage. Dorothy at once ran back to the cottage and found the oil can, and then she returned and asked anxiously, Where are your joints? Oil my neck first, replied the tin man. So she oiled it, and as it was quite badly rusted, the scarecrow took hold of the tin head and moved it gently from side to side until it worked freely, and then the man could turn it himself. Now oil the joints of my arms, he said, and Dorothy oiled them, and the scarecrow bent them carefully until they were quite free from rust and as good as new. The tin woodman gave a sigh of satisfaction and lowered his axe, which he leaned against the tree. This is a great comfort, he said, 
I've been holding that axe in the air ever since I rusted, and I'm glad to be able to put it down at last. Now, if you will oil the joints of my legs, I shall be all right once more. So they oiled his legs until he could move them freely, and he thanked them again and again for his release, for he seemed a very polite creature and very grateful. I might have stood there always if you had not come along, he said, so you have certainly saved my life. How did you happen to be here? We are on our way to the Emerald City to see the Great Oz, she answered, and we stopped at your cottage to pass the night. Why do you wish to see Oz? he asked. I want him to send me back to Kansas, and the Scarecrow wants him to put a few brains into his head, she replied. The Tin Woodman appeared to think deeply for a moment. Then he said, Do you suppose Oz would give me a heart? Why, I guess so, Dorothy answered. It would be as easy as to give the Scarecrow brains. True, the Tin Woodman returned. So, if you will allow me to join your party, I will also go to the Emerald City and ask Oz to help me. Come along, said the Scarecrow heartily, and Dorothy added that she would be pleased to have his company. So the Tin Woodman shouldered his axe, and they all passed through the forest, until they came to the road that was paved with yellow brick. The Tin Woodman had asked Dorothy to put the oil can in her basket, for, he said, if I should get caught in the rain and rust again, I would need the oil can badly. It was a bit of good luck to have their new comrade join the party, for soon after they had begun their journey again, they came to a place where the trees and branches grew so thick over the road that the travelers could not pass. But the tin woodman set to work with his axe and chopped so well, and soon he cleared a passage for the entire party. While they were walking through the forest, the tin woodman told the following story. I knew a munchkin girl who was so beautiful that I soon grew to love her with all my heart, but the old woman who lived with her did not want her to marry anyone. So the old woman went to the wicked witch to prevent the marriage. Thereupon the wicked witch enchanted my axe, and when I was chopping away at my best one day, for I was anxious to get the new house and my wife as soon as possible, the axe slipped all at once and cut off my leg. This at first seemed a great misfortune, for I knew a one-legged man could not do very well as a woodchopper. So I went to a tinsmith and had him make me a new leg out of tin. The leg worked very well once I was used to it, but my action angered the wicked witch of the east, for she had promised the old woman I should not marry the pretty munchkin girl. 
When I began chopping again, my axe slipped and cut off my right leg. Again I went to the tinner, and again he made me a leg out of tin. This went on and on, until all my limbs and head had been replaced with tin ones. The wicked witch then made my axe slip again, so that it cut right through my body, splitting me into two halves. Once more, the tinner came to my help and made me a body of tin, fastening my tin arms and legs and head to it by means of joints so that I can move around as well as ever. But alas, I had now no heart so that I lost all my love for the munchkin girl and did not care whether I married her or not. I suppose she is still living with the old woman waiting for me to come after her. While I was in love, I was the happiest man on earth. But no one can love who has not a heart, and so I'm resolved to ask Oz to give me one. If he does, I will go back to the Munchkin Maiden and marry her. Both Dorothy and Scarecrow had been greatly interested in the story of the Tin Woodman, and now they knew why he was so anxious to get a new heart. All this time, Dorothy and her companions had been walking through the thick woods. The road was still paved with yellow brick, but these were much covered by dried branches and dead leaves from the trees, and the walking was not at all good. There were few birds in this part of the forest, for birds love the open country where there is plenty of sunshine. But now and then there came a deep growl from some wild animal hidden among the trees. These sounds made the little girl's heart beat fast, for she did not know what made them. But Toto knew, and he walked close to Dorothy's side and did not even bark in return. How long will it be? the child asked of the tin woodman before we are out of the forest. I cannot tell, was the answer, for I've never been to the Emerald City. Just as he spoke, there came from the forest a terrible roar. And the next moment, a great lion bounded into the road. With one blow of his paw, he sent the scarecrow spinning over and over to the edge of the road. And then he struck at the tin woodman with his sharp claws. But, to the lion's surprise, he could make no impression on the tin, although the woodman fell over in the road and lay still. Little Toto, now that he had an enemy to face, ran barking toward the lion, and the great beast had opened his mouth to bite the dog, when Dorothy, fearing Toto would be killed, and heedless of danger, rushed forward and slapped the lion upon his nose as hard as she could, while she cried out, 
Don't you dare to bite Toto. You ought to be ashamed of yourself, a big beast like you, to bite a poor little dog. I didn't bite him, said the lion, as he rubbed his nose with his paw, where Dorothy had hit it. No, but you tried to, she retorted. You are nothing but a big coward. I know it, said the lion, hanging his head in shame. He's a curious animal, and seems remarkably small now that I look at him. No one would think of biting such a little thing, except a coward like me, continued the lion sadly. What makes you a coward? asked Dorothy, looking at the great beast in wonder. It's a mystery, replied the lion. I suppose I was born that way. All the other animals in the forest naturally expect me to be brave, for the lion is everywhere thought to be the king of beasts. But that isn't right. The king of beasts shouldn't be a coward, said the scarecrow. I know it, returned the lion, wiping a tear from his eye with the tip of his tail. It is my great sorrow. It makes my life very unhappy. But whenever there is danger, my heart begins to beat fast. I am going to the great Oz to ask him to give me some brains, remarked the scarecrow, for my head is stuffed with straw. And I am going to ask him to give me a heart, said the woodman. And I am going to ask him to send Toto and me back to Kansas, added Dorothy. Do you think Oz could give me courage? asked the cowardly lion. Just as easily as he could give me brains, said the scarecrow. Or give me a heart, said the tin woodman. Or send me back to Kansas, said Dorothy. Then, if you don't mind, I'll go with you, said the lion, for my life is simply unbearable without a bit of courage. So once more, the little company set off upon the journey. The lion, walking with stately strides at Dorothy's side, Toto did not approve of this new comrade at first, for he could not forget how nearly he had been crushed between the lion's great jaws. But after a time, he became more at ease, and presently, Toto and the cowardly lion had grown to be good friends. During the rest of that day, there was no other adventure to mar the peace of their journey. Thank you.